Good morning and welcome to the Houghton Wesleyan Church. It's a privilege and an honor to be here with you this morning. Please stand and join me in the call to worship. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. Please pray with me. Dear Lord, thank you for giving us the opportunity to be here in worship this morning. Help our minds and our hearts to be open to hear your word in our lives and help us to be open to change and new ideas. Help us to be the light of the life and show others what you would want them to see. Bless us in our hour of worship. In the Lord's name we pray. Amen.
Before you're seated, share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship this morning. This is uh, part of our mission's emphasis. Uh, Yesterday, we had some folks that went to Buffalo and uh, did some work up there. We had a a shower yesterday about foster care, and uh, then today we've had some events going on as well. And uh, this morning, we we continue, and uh, also uh, on the next few weeks, there are some more things that are happening. On the 16th, uh, we as a church are hosting the meal at Wellspring in Angelica, and if you would like to be a part of helping with that, you see information in the bulletin related to how you can be involved. And also, this coming Saturday, the 30th, we are hosting a seminar with the Lilius Trotter Center, and uh, it is uh, entitled Muslims, Refugees, and Immigration, a Christian Response. And we have uh, the folks in the center have um, many, many years of cumulative experience living and working and understanding uh, the culture of part of the world that we have a difficult time understanding often. And so we, I, I think I heard that we already have 70 people coming. We're expecting more from all around the area. And if you would still, if you haven't yet indicated your uh, desire to come, uh, you can sign up to, uh, in the back or you can let the church office know and we will get you on the list and make sure we're prepared for you. So we hope you can be a part of that event. Uh, This morning, as part of our mission's uh, emphasis, we are privileged to welcome uh, Dr. Mike Walters uh, back to the pulpit here. Uh, Mike has uh, spent the last 20 years teaching at Houghton College, and the 13 years previous to that was the pastor of the church here. And so we are excited to have him back this morning. And uh, he has a real heart for the world, both in his experiences and just in who he is. And uh, we look forward to hearing his word uh, to us as God speaks through him into each of our hearts.
The Old Testament scripture reading this morning comes from Isaiah chapter 55. Hear the word of the Lord. Come, all who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk, without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread, and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me, and eat what is good, and your soul will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me. Hear me, that your soul may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to David. See, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations do not know you will hasten to you. Because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him, and to our God, for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return to it without watering the earth, and making it blood and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower, and bread for the eater. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the pine tree, and instead of the briars, the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown. For an everlasting sign, which will not be destroyed. This is the word of the Lord. As the ushers come forward to give us our tithes and offerings, please stand for the doxology. Dear Lord, help us to live lives of open hands. Help us to give graciously. Help us to know that everything that we have comes from you. We are blessed and we have been given grace. In the Lord's name we pray. Amen.
Please join me in the prayer of confession that is printed in your bulletin. Let's pray together. Merciful God, in your gracious presence, we confess our sin and the sin of this world. Although Christ is among us as our peace, we are a people divided against ourselves as we cling to the values of a broken world. The profit and pleasures we pursue lay waste the land and pollute the seas. The fears and jealousies that we harbor set neighbor against neighbor, nation against nation, even disciple against disciple. We abuse your good gifts of imagination and freedom, of intellect and reason, and have turned them into bonds of oppression. Lord, have mercy upon us. Heal and forgive us through the promise of Christ. In his name, set us free to serve you in the world as agents of your reconciling love in Jesus Christ. Amen. As we continue in a spirit of prayer, if you would like to use the altar rail as the place where you offer your prayers as we pray together, please come and join me. Most gracious Heavenly Father, there are many things in this world that we are uncertain about. But one thing about which we are completely certain is that you love the whole world and that your purpose is to redeem the whole world through Jesus Christ. And so, Father, this morning we come thinking about not just ourselves, but the whole world and asking for your grace in the midst of our world. Father, we pray for the nations of the world, some small, some large, some have great influence, some are hardly noticed, some are prosperous, some are ravaged by disease and famine and drought. Some exist in relative peace. Some know virtually nothing but war. We pray for your reconciling, sustaining grace among the nations of the world and the peoples of the world. Father, we think of our brothers and sisters in Iran, in this nation in which there is so much oppression and persecution of Christians. We thank you that the word is going forth and lives are being changed and more and more people are coming to you, even in the midst of great opposition. We pray that you will give to the church in Iran courage and strength and and an overwhelming sense of your presence. May their courage their commitment to you inspire us about our courage and our commitment to you. 
Father, we, we think of others in the world and in this nation who are in need. and Our minds turn to the people who have been suffering through this storm. Many lives have been lost and people are stranded and, and, and people are in great difficulty. And we think especially of people who are most vulnerable. People who don't have a warm home to stay in. People who don't have adequate food or nourishment. We pray, Father, that that you will bring your church and others into the lives of the most vulnerable and the most needy, that they would find the resources that they need. Lord, we thank you for the work of your kingdom and your church in this county. We thank you for the ministry of Royal Family Kids Camp. And as they are in the process of filling leadership positions, staff positions, as they are making plans for the summer's camp, we pray that you will bring the right people to them and that you will bless again the efforts of this important camp. Father, we pray for the ministry of the Wiscoy Baptist Church. and We thank you for for all the ways in which they are engaging their town and beyond with the gospel. We pray that you would bless Pastor Bennett and the people of this church, that they would indeed be a a beacon of light to those around them. And Lord, we think about our own ministries here, and we thank you for the ministry of Koinonia through the years. And as they continue to serve, we pray your blessing upon the leaders and the people involved. And that this ministry of worship would truly lead hearts and minds to you. And that it would be used by your spirit to bring about life change. And Father, we pray for our own needs. We think of those among us who are grieving. All the forms in which grief comes to us and we ask for your healing grace upon them. We pray for all who are struggling with health concerns and We think especially today of Calvin and Laurel Buecher, Warren Woolsey, Bill Getty, Phil Muecher, Mike Raybuck, Jill Tyson, Bruce Brenneman, Everett, Micah Christensen, Linda Roth, Dick Gould, Crystal Blake, Emily Crickler, and others who may be on our hearts and our minds. Father, there are other needs that we bring today. In this moment of silence, Hear our prayers, our words of of intercession and of faith in you. Father, continue to fill us with a yearning for you and for a yearning to be your people in this world, the world right around us and the world everywhere. Father, be glorified to speak into our hearts. Be glorified in our responses. May we know your grace upon us this day and every day in this place of worship and beyond. We pray this in the name 
our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, remembering the prayer he taught his disciples to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever.
The New Testament scripture reading this morning is from 2 Corinthians 5, verses 11 through 21. This is the word of the Lord. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade men. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us, so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, it is for the sake of God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of the Lord.
Good morning. It's been years since I preached regularly every Sunday, and I almost never speak three times in a row. All of which leads me to conclude one thing Wes Oden is Batman. Mystery solved. This past June, my wife and I both retired. Nancy retired from a career as an elementary school teacher, and I retired as a college professor. My wife taught six and seven year olds how to read and write. I taught 18 to 22-year-olds how to read and write. (laughs) The African proverb is true. It does take a village. But I have never doubted that Nancy had the more difficult job. Honestly, when I think about standing in front of her, group of six-year-olds for seven hours a day, it scares the daylights out of me. I would rather teach New Testament to the Taliban. (laughs) Little kids just make me nervous. I'm a rather structured person, and uh, kids go through structure like a bag of gummy bears. They are highly unpredictable, and that's just way out of my comfort zone. So all things considered, uh, working with college students was a good thing for me, not the least of which it allowed me to become somewhat oblivious, I guess, to the presence of all these little ones. But all that changed for me in August of 2014 when I looked at my grandson. I was completely unprepared for how that was going to affect me. And then a little over seven months later, same thing happened when I looked at my second grandson. I'm a Wesleyan, so I considered that a second blessing. I call it entire grandpa-fication. Of course, I'm nuts about my grandkids. That's to be expected. But what I did not expect is that suddenly I find I'm kind of nuts about little kids in general. And they're everywhere. Who knew? It's so weird. It's like they were hiding. I'm not only seeing them, I'm, I'm walking through stores and shopping malls and I'm smiling at them. I'm a curmudgeon for Pete's sake. It's one of my gifts. What's going on? In a word, it's called reorientation. Reorientation of life is a transformation of the concerns that drive our emotions and of the worldview that drives our opinions and evaluation. It is a radical change of the core lifestyle that drives our habits and our actions. 
The Bible often uses the term repentance to get at this. The Greek word for repent speaks to a radical change of mind, of the way we think. In another place, Paul speaks of being transformed by the renewing of our minds. Reorientation is what we mean when we speak of being made new. And here in 2 Corinthians 5, Paul is speaking to a specific aspect or what we might term an evidence of this reorientation. In founding the church at Corinth, Paul has his hands full. The Corinthian church confronts him with the ultimate game of administrative whack-a-mole. It's just one thing after another with this group. In his first letter to this church, Paul tackles head-on a gallery of issues that would turn any pastor's hair gray. And here in the second letter, Paul finds himself defending his apostolic authority against some who are overly impressed with style but blind to real substance. And even some of Paul's supporters can't quite understand why he's out traipsing around the Mediterranean world instead of staying in Corinth and going head-to-head with his rivals and critics. But Paul has a much larger agenda than securing his alpha dog status among a group of immature people whose vision of life is still largely dominated by the wisdom of this world. He spends much of the fourth and early part of the fifth chapter of this letter explaining to his readers that if they would correctly understand him, that they must grasp the kind of eternal perspective under which he operates. He knows that he, along with all of us, will someday give an account of our lives before God. Paul also grasped that the essence of what it means to be an apostle is one who has been sent with a commission. And so he unapologetically confesses that he is compelled by Christ's amazing love to giving himself wholeheartedly to this commission to share the good news anywhere and everywhere. For Paul, being made new is not some kind of special status. It is not some spiritual achievement award. Rather, it is the entryway into a radically new vision of human life and vocation. That's what we have to keep in mind when we read verse 17. 2 Corinthians 5.17 is one of the best-known descriptions of Christian conversion in Scripture. And yet, lifted from its context, it is easily sold short of its intended purpose. Far too often, this verse is cited primarily to speak of the momentous change that happens in a sinner's life when he or she is born again. And that's certainly the case, but to leave the emphasis there is to miss Paul's main point. Doubtless, many people have powerful testimonies of radical change in their lives in coming to know Christ. But just as many don't have those 
incredible before and after stories, are they any less made new? I'll never forget hearing Joseph Stowell, the president, former president of Moody Bible Institute, say to a group of us, the Lord saved me as a four-year-old, and he delivered me from a life of biting my sister. <laughs> Joseph Stowell was every bit as made new as the most blatant sinner who has ever come to Christ. This verse is not primarily intending for us to look backwards at what used to be, but to look ahead to what has become new for us. And there are, all of any, there are any number of elements in our lives that are radically changed when we are made new in Christ, and Scripture speaks clearly to those elements. But here in 2 Corinthians 5, Paul stresses that to become a new person in Christ is to be immersed in a new way of viewing ourselves, others, and the world. Being made new in Christ is intended to radically shift the nature of our values and priorities as we stop living for ourselves and start living for this one who gave himself for us. It is total reorientation. And the crux of this new orientation that we have centers around what God has intended for his world. And that divine intention is summarized for us here in one word, reconciliation. In embracing the new creation, we not only let go of the old, but we join ourselves to God's cosmic purpose, his mission in the world. This incredible experience of being made new is but the starting point for the rest of our lives. All of this, says Paul, is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. Behind this whole endeavor, Paul sees a reconciling God. Not an angry, spiteful, wrathful God, but a God whose love is great enough to take the inconceivable step of self-sacrifice in order to bring reconciliation to all of his creation. To reconcile is to restore to friendship or harmony. It is to make consistent or congruent. As we look at our world today, or even our immediate neighborhoods, it would be hard to think of anything more needed than reconciliation. Our world literally screams with the incongruity of hatred and violence and disharmony. Whether we're talking about the divide between religious or political ideologies, the increasing gap between the haves and the have-nots, the continuing fractures among people along lines of race, gender, or class. Our world desperately needs reconciliation, harmony. The week before this last week, I was teaching a seminar at Northeastern Seminary in Rochester, and we were looking at a book by James Cone, 
who is probably the most prominent African-American theologian in America this day, these days. There were 12 pastors in the seminar, and seven of them were African-American. We were looking at Cone's book entitled The Cross and the Lynching Tree. It is without a doubt the most gut-wrenchingly painful piece of theology I've ever read. And I sat there and I watched these wonderful pastors express their hurt and their pain that they deal with on a daily basis. They deal with the repercussions of our fractured and hateful world. And I was reminded so powerfully how important reconciliation is. And I was also reminded that until all of us in the church accept our call to be agents of reconciliation, that we will never see the healing that God intends for this world. See here that Paul says that God gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We have not been made new to merely twiddle our spiritual thumbs until we make our way into heaven. We have been recruited by God's Spirit to join in spreading the good news of Christ and to be living, breathing embodiments of God's reconciling purposes for the world. So we are not only reconciled to God personally, but we are now enlisted in the church's vocational purpose in the world. Just what is God up to in our world? In a word, it's reconciliation. The foundational plotline of the Bible is the story of a creator God who takes costly steps refusing to give up on a wayward creation. He takes costly steps to bring about a full and everlasting reconciliation of the cosmos. And he has awakened you and me and all who are made new to join him in this redemptive endeavor. Now, I recognize that in one respect, I'm a very odd choice for a missions weekend speaker. I have no slides to show. I don't have any harrowing snake stories. I don't know that I've ever met a witch doctor. I don't fit the traditional, stereotypical picture of a mission speaker at all, unless... Unless you get what Paul's trying to say here. Because in reality, as a baptized Christian, I'm a missionary. And I'm looking at a room full of missionaries right now. What else could we possibly be? You, oh, you may never go far away from home. You may never engage in any of the kinds of traditional forms of service 
uh, that are historically identified with missions. But if you have been made new in Christ, your vocational destiny is to be part of God's reconciling work in this world. One of the great benefits of being retired is I'm rereading books I read years ago. And I've been rereading some of the work of the great Quaker philosopher Elton Trueblood. Trueblood says it's, it's hard to read the New Testament in depth and not begin to realize that the early church in its period of greatest vitality was very different from most parts of the conventional church in our own day. Perhaps the most striking feature from our contemporary point of view is that all of the early Christians were missionaries. They did not leave the evangelistic task to either professional evangelists or to pastors to whom they paid salaries, for these did not exist. He says, as we read the truly exciting story of the early church persevering as it did in the face of incredible odds, we sense the difference between the task of merely supporting missionaries and of being missionaries. The early church did not have a missionary arm. The early church was a missionary movement. Christopher Wright echoes this when he says, it's not so much that God has a mission for his church in the world as that God has a church for his mission in the world. That's our purpose, our calling, our God-given vocation. Someone has said that our vocation is what we can't not do. If you are a new creation in Christ, what you can't not do is be an agent of God's reconciling grace to this world. Perhaps you noticed when you looked in today's bulletin that a current popular movie stole my sermon title. It's so annoying when that happens. It's okay. I'll work with it. I suspect that franchise needs all the help it can get. I mean, droids. Wookies, lightsabers, like anybody's going to buy into that nonsense. But the story's interesting. It's a story of a galaxy where a small republic finds itself fighting the powers of darkness and evil. And frankly, the republic doesn't stand much of a chance until something called the Force awakens. Strange as it seems, this power, this force, proves to be more than adequate to the task of securing the triumph of the people of that threatened world. Our task of taking the message of reconciliation into our broken world seems impossible until we rightly grasp the power of the force, God's church. Some of you find that incredulous. 
God did not miscalculate when he committed to us the ministry of reconciliation. Just yesterday I read a United Methodist bishop who said that the greatest force at work in our world today is a local church guided by the Holy Spirit. But you see, the force will only awaken when Christians understand the idea that missionary vocation is universal. The church cannot function as God intends it to function unless the members accept the fact that each one is made new to be a part of Christ's reconciling reconciling purpose for the world. There are meant to be as many missionaries as there are believers. Most of the time, being a missionary does not require that you leave home, or at least go far away from it. It simply requires engagement in the ministry of reconciliation. The only way to be loyal to the fire of Christ is to spread it. Thomas Oden says that the church does not elicit mission, but rather mission elicits, awakens, and empowers the church. The very purpose of our coming together as a community is in order that we may be fully prepared to be sent. The church comes together to receive grace and then scatters to declare grace. The church gathers to hear the word of God's reconciling love for the fallen world world, and then departs to embody that love within the world. So what? So what are we supposed to do with that? This is the only time I will ever, ever quote Bill Belichick in a sermon. As he says to his New England Patriots, do your job. Do your job. Paul says, therefore, we are Christ ambassadors. Ambassadors, not tourists. Ambassadors, not day trippers. Ambassadors, not collectors of cultural knickknacks. Ambassadors, representatives of another kingdom, a kingdom where Jesus is Lord. So what would it mean for you to faithfully represent God's reconciling intent for this world? What would it mean for each of us here today to take seriously our vocational call to be agents of reconciliation in this world? What would it mean for us to stop looking at other people through the lens of this world and rather begin to regard them as recipients of the new creation? As ambassadors of Christ's reconciling kingdom, how would we respond to the issues of our day, like immigration and terrorism, and and in confronting the culture of violence in this country? 
How do, we, how do we respond to racism? How do we respond to the issues of justice and equality for all people? What would an ambassador of Christ do? At minimum, it entails getting the salt out of the salt shaker. Ambassadors who spend all of their waking moments hanging out at the embassy do their country a grave disservice. Kevin Van Hooser says followers of Christ must do more than observe his story from a safe distance. There's a difference between an onlooker and a witness. The onlooker observes but but does not take part in the action. By way of contrast, the one giving witness is an active participant. Churches full of onlookers is hardly God's intention. So until the Christian church takes its vocation seriously, the church will continue to appear to the rest of this world like an overanxious social club. It's interesting to think that the residents in Corinth in the year A.D. 55 could have identified with no trouble at all the location of the temple of Apollo. They could have given us directions. But the question of the location of the church of Jesus Christ would have stumped them. They could not have pointed to a building at a certain address, for there were no such structures in existence. If Christian witness is relegated to a building with four walls, the harm comes not in what occurs within these particular walls, but in the consequent easing of our conscience about what goes on elsewhere. So the question this morning is simply this. Where is Houghton Church? Is is the answer a street address on Route 19? That huge field of solar panels that lies just beyond the field of dreams north of town is, is an impressive sight. There it sits day by day, according to some good folk in North Carolina, slowly draining the energy out of our sun. My science faculty friends at Houghton assure me that this is not the case. No, those panels are the visible evidence of power. A force, if you will. And the force represented in those panels has incredible potential. Potential that is surely about something beyond just heating up the bagel toaster in the college dining hall. It is an energy force that needs to be utilized to its fullest potential. 
maybe better than most because of my background, I know that Houghton Church has an incredible history of worldwide influence over the years with regards to the mission of God in this world. There are few churches that have cast a greater shadow for God and his kingdom, but you must never allow contentment and justifiable pride in the past to defer in any way the urgency of the present. God in Christ has taken the all-important step to bring reconciliation to his world, and he desires all of us to join him as agents of reconciliation. A few weeks ago, we were watching the Kennedy Center Honors, and they were honoring the great actress Cicely Tyson. And as part of the tribute to this great woman, they brought out the gospel singer C.C. Winans, who sang, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. And as that hymn of praise to Jesus for his reconciling love was being sung, the cameras panned the audience. And I was struck by the celebrities and the politicians and the power brokers who had big tears coursing down their cheeks. There is something about the possibility of being made new, of being reconciled with God that resonates deep within the hearts of human beings. Instead of telling them that they are judged, why don't we give them the good news of God in Christ reconciling all things to himself. For this, we have been made new. Rise up, O church of God. Have done with lesser things. Give heart and soul and mind and strength to serve the King of Kings. Amen.
receive the benediction. Now by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore.